0: Today, we'll be having a conversation with one of the first pioneers of startup AI. We've all heard about the conversation around AI since the launch of Chat Chippity. We've all been so much in awe of the amazing impact AI have had in our community. Tonight is an opportunity to learn from Dr. Imali Kinjai, who is one of Uh, who founded an ai company one of the very first ai company from Columbia university in the us in just 2016 his company called genetic intelligence was growing so fast so quickly and he exited when the company's valuation was 85 million dollars today dr injai spent his time working passionately in designing and developing the next generation of medication using generative AI. So, as I was saying earlier on, today's an opportunity to explore what really AI is. As always, remember, we have a deep, deep desire to learn. And we bring only the experts, the people that matter, the people that can speak volume and speak Uh, and speak authoritatively in uh, the topic that we've chosen them to come speak to us on. Every Friday, we'll meet here with some of Africa's leading entrepreneurs, investors, policymakers, decision-makers all across the world solving the most preeminent and predominant issues. Today, we'll be joined by an exciting entrepreneur, a bold one who is leveraging AI to change the way we treat ourselves and manage our health in general. I am excited, I am happy, and I hope you are too. So wherever you are, you're listening to this episode, welcome to another episode of the Petrum Africa. I am your host, Sidi Sarkov. What we're going to be discussing today, outside of all of his remarkable experiences and exposure to the context of AI, is specifically to go into the use cases of AI in medicine and how we perceive the future. Dr. Injai, welcome to The Picture from Africa. Good evening from my side.
1: Good evening, City. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So I just wanted to make sure that you're able to hear me well. Yes. Yes, I am able to hear you well.
0: Doctor I'm just going to jump right into the conversation everybody talks about AI these days well for most of us that talk about AI we talk only about ChatGPT that's what our reference or our model of AI is
1: what is really AI <laughs> It's, that's a great question. It's um, I have to say, it's quite wonderful that AI is so much in the cultural zeitgeist today. Um, it's great to be able to have conversations with people from different walks of life and they all are curious about AI. Um, I think it's worthwhile. Are, are you able to hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay, perfect. Um, so we have to just distinguish AI from the typical, the classic computing that we all have become used to, say for instance. Um, mainframe computers or the typical program that underlies programs such as Twitter, which is now called X, or just the classical computer programming that we have become used to, it's AI is quite different from this type of computation. So for instance, just in being able to find things, let's say, searching for perform a search function, uh, most computational programs in the past would divide data into chunks, and then into smaller chunks, and then into even f- smaller chunks. Thus, one is able to do parallel processing and then be able to find out specific parts of information within that large space that was broken up into small pieces. Um, so that's, that's basically how computation has worked. F- um, until the age of this version of AI that we're working with. This version of AI that we are working with today borrows a lot from neuroscience. So I am, I think you mentioned this, I am a neuroscientist by training. And um, artificial intelligence, as we know of it today, borrows loosely from how brain cells, um, these are called neurons, uh, operate. Um, So how neurons operate is um based on quite a bit of randomness and then selection for um cells that are specific to particular items or uh, situations Um, so for instance like with a a young baby's brain that is developing could have let's say four neurons that are trying to become attuned to some external stimuli something from the outside and most of those neurons Uh, will never become like appropriately tuned. So let's say the first three neurons do not become tuned to this external stimuli. However, the fourth one, just by chance, becomes tuned to some external stimuli. It could be a sound, it could be a color, it could be something else, but from the outside. Um, How the brain works is that those first three neurons that were... um, that were inappropriately tuned, they will become culled. They would become, let's say they would become um, depreciated and those neurons will die out. The fourth neuron will instead become um, the one that remains and sort of grows deeper connections with the rest of the brain. So that's like a self-selection that's based a bit on like a bit of random randomness um, where the first three neurons just happen to be unfortunate. And the fourth one was the one that was attuned for the stimuli that's needed. Artificial intelligence borrows from this quite directly, um, where the neurons within, within computers, um, Uh, sorry, computational units that are doing the same thing, those are also called neurons. So we'll just call them artificial neurons just to to distinguish them from real life, biological neurons in our brains. So these artificial neurons, um, these are computational units that have sort of random points, um, um, numbers given to them in an effort to see if they're tuned into some Stimuli that is needed. Say you are trying to do image recognition or some other kind of task. So, those neurons, let's say you have three or four of these artificial neurons, most likely the first three of them will not become tuned appropriately as one would expect, um, like in biological neurons. And those neurons, the computer will get rid of the artificial neurons. However, the fourth one, let's say it becomes tuned to the color green, that fourth neuron will become kept will be kept and then it will become strengthened within within the computational framework. So all of a sudden you have this neuron that just by luck, by random numbers early on, becomes tuned to the external. Let's just call it the color green. It becomes it becomes maintained and then grows in strength. And then you just do this again and again and again. And you all of a sudden have lots of neurons that become very specific to things like the color green, the color yellow, the color purple, the color blue, and so forth, and on and on. And you therefore quickly build a library of different neurons that are attuned to stimuli that are important for whatever the task your artificial intelligence is trying to do. But that's a completely different framework from how computers worked in the past. So I hope that it wasn't overly technical, but it gives you some insight to how AI is fundamentally different from the way computers used to work in the past. No, no,
0: it's actually presents a very, um, um, you know, very um, curious case. So I'm just going to dip into that a little bit. So let's come back to why there's there's so much hype around um, what AI is um, at the moment. And I think, well, We all have, in some way, been um, interacting with AI before. They are in our phones, they are in our computers, they they are in our search bars, Google, and things like that. But then now, people have, you know, it almost as if an awakening has taken place, especially with the launch of generative AI. What do you think, fundamentally, was that one thing that was done really well that have actually allow AI to become a very forward conversation. Everybody talks about chat Again, excuse our ignorance. We do know, some of us do know that AI goes beyond just chat But what is the foundational element that led
1: to this recent hype? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a great question. Um, so I would say that the biggest, I guess, the biggest moment, the biggest like singular moment that changed um, the space to become um, an eventuality that we are in right now occurred about 10 years ago. Um, this was, um, I believe, in 2012, where a, a type of AI called a neural net came to, uh, was was used in a competition called ImageNet. So ImageNet um, is just a competition where people could bring any sort of um, um, approach, uh, mathematical computational, or so forth, and the job is very straightforward. There's a lot of images, uh, pictures of dogs, cats, trains, um, trees. Um, you know, tables, chairs, people, uh, different, all just different types of things that you could see that uh, could be captured in an image. And the the competition was, can you just, can you recognize this better than the next person or the next um, approach that is trying to do the same thing? And in 2012, a group from the University of Toronto led by, um, coming from this um, laboratory of Jeffrey Hinton, approach a proposed approach that was called AlexNet it's called AlexNet because the first the first the main researcher in that um in in that in their approach was a man whose first name was Alex and they showed that their neural net was able to outperform all the other approaches by a significant amount and what the approach um was able to to do was be able to recognize just uh, a picture of a cat versus a picture of a dog much better than competing um, competing um, approaches. Um, so that that was the architecture was fundamentally um, different from the other approaches, but it wasn't significantly new. I think what was particularly important was that one they used GPUs to make make the uh, the computations faster, um, and second. AlexNet as a database itself just had a lot more images than previously before, and this is um, cannot be understated. The amount of data that was in AlexNet allowed allowed sorry an image that allowed AlexNet to be as successful as as um, it was. And we've seen, and I just also just want to give a shout out to. The, um, the creator of the competition was a professor, a lady from Stanford. She had this idea to collect images from all around the internet um, around 2007, 2008. Not so much fanfare, but this thought of hers uh, led to the collection of so much data that you could have artificial. intelligence. Oh, go back. To Welcome back.
2: Thank you. Great,
1: fantastic.
0: So. Um... Uh, doc, let's 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 just you know move the conversation and again for those of you who are listening live where we really do apologize and this is the interesting thing about tech sometimes as much as it's here to help us be more productive, sometimes it also acts as a barrier to that productivity. Um but nonetheless we're still going to continue the conversation with Dr. Imali Kinjai. If you're just catching up on the podcast, you're listening on your on your way to work or you're listening, you know, trying to chill and rest in. Remember, we meet here every Friday with some of the world's leading experts from the field of entrepreneurship, investment, tech, innovation, policies that are changing the global dynamics of Africa as an ecosystem. Today, we're joined by the amazing AI expert, Dr. Imalek Njai. Dr. Njai, here's a question that someone sent to us before now, why does it look like AI or the entire concept of AI and the interaction between AI and majority of the people now is based off on ChatGPT and Midjourney?
1: So why is the majority of the conversation on AI based on those two products, ChatGPT and Midjourney? Um, I mean, oh, so, um, yeah, so mid journey, um, for those of you guys, I'm sure most people are, 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 are familiar with it, but mid journey is a, um, is a, 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 uh, before I got cut off, I had mentioned that mid journey, uh, which allows you to type in keywords and then have an AI spit out images that, that represent, um, just your imagination space. Um, that that is something that people have not seen before. You know, being able to put in keywords. Um, the example that was in my mind was a, a marshmallow riding a horse um, it, down um, in, 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 a, in a body of water. That's this is something that was usually left to the imagination space of professional artists, um, and even then, it's technically hard to do that. And now, just every Um, most people could then just think of things like that and have AI give you a a visual representation to that thought. So that was something that was unheard of before. So it captures people's imagination. So I could see why mid-journey and similar types, uh, similar applications of AI caught the public's imagination. Um, Similarly with ChatGPT, being able to talk to a computer and it responds back as if it's another person or something that we only see, we saw in movies before um, or in books. And as of December um, of 2022, that became a reality. Um, being able to ask a, a fairly complex question to the computer and, um, and it responds back in a coherent and intelligent way um, um, way, uh, even if some of what it sells you doesn't sometimes check out, like uh, these, these AIs have a propensity to have these um, hallucinations, which is giving up false information. Um, beyond that, though, I guess at a higher level, having the computer talk back to you as if it's another person is, um, that, that is fundamentally a, a leap in technology. It's, it's, um, it's uh, for most people that use it. We're in complete disbelief that this is actually happening. Uh, back in December, and we've witnessed how people uh, have realized that we have literally entered a new space, a new era of artificial intelligence, and some people say a new era of human, human humanity.
0: So, so let, let's 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 go into the conversation of what that then means for humanity in general. So. Um, You're doing a a really, really amazing and, you know, a mind-blowing work at Echerton. Tell us a little bit about that work and how you're using AI to generate the next um, level or to unlock the next level of treatment and care for some of the most predominant diseases that have been around for,
1: um, you know, generations Thank you, thank you. Um, so, yeah, Ecotone um, is is a new company. Um, we are a few um, months old, and what we are doing is making AI design. Yes. So it's w- worthwhile to just to give context to what uh, Ecotone is doing. It's worthwhile to just look back um, to what I had mentioned earlier about about ten years ago, how um, we were able to use harness harness neural nets to to do a type of image recognition that was uh, at the accuracy that wasn't available before um, so that's using a single type of data which is image data um, since then we've to today we've advanced from using a single type of data to using complex data like in the case of chat gpt for instance uh, open ai uses web data so gathering words from spaces like twitter um, from Uh, reddit cnn.com wikipedia and so forth aggregating these and feeding it into their large language model which is the basis of how ChatGPT works so we moved from a single type of data image data um, some years ago to today where we're using complex data from data from websites so going into the future we're going to be putting in even more complex data into large models um, in the case of Ecotone, we'll be introducing genomic data into la- large models, and we call this we call our model a large genome model. So that's an LGM. It's, um, it has parallels to to um, the LLMs, the large language models. There's similar frameworks. For instance, um, it's an attention-based network that we are using. Um, And importantly, the reason we we are building this large genome model to accept genetic data is that we are working with to find out what are the root causes, the root genetic causes of rare inherited diseases. So these diseases um, number around 10,000. Most of them you've never heard of. Um, For instance, there's one called biotinidase deficiency um it's a disease that affects infants Um, and most people would not have heard about this disease as well as many of the others and the individuals that have these diseases we most for the most part do not have any remedies there's no medicines for them the reason there's no medicines for them is because we do not know what are the genes that are being passed down through families that are causing these individuals to become sick so what we are doing is using our ai to find out what is the root genetic cause That is uh, that is that is reason the manifestation of these diseases. What is behind it? And we believe that our LGM will be able to give us such insight. We'll be able to work with an amount of data that is unparalleled compared to previous attempts at trying to find out what are the causes of these diseases. And once we find out what the genetic elements that are causing these diseases, we are then able to design the next generation of medicines. These are called precision medicines that are specific to the genetics of the individuals that are suffering from these diseases. And we therefore will be able to cure them. So, so,
0: so, will these in advance, they see, see the end of cancer
1: in itself? Is that a bold statement to make? Um, So, cancer, into different categories um, lots of cancers are due to environmental reasons for instance um, smoking cigarettes results in can- um, types of lung cancer and different and other cancers of the esophagus and so forth we do not work with uh, with diseases that are due to environmental factors we specifically focus on diseases that are inherited so Something that you get from your mother and your dad through through your through the genome, um, and they got it from their grandparents, and then you know backwards and backwards and backwards in time. Um, so some of these, of course, could be cancers. However, diagnosing cancers is um, it's sometimes um, has a lot of inaccuracies within it, and for us for our AI to work well, we have to ensure that the diagnosis of patients is absolutely pristine it's it's um, it's like a low bar to error because we do not want to introduce noise into our computations so we therefore shy away from cancers um, one mo- many of them are environmental and two even the ones that are inherited there tends to be a lot of misdiagnosis and so forth that could that could introduce introduce errors within uh, within AI. So we instead focus on inherited diseases where it's quite clear that when a doctor makes a diagnosis, yes, one is absolutely certain that there's a correct diagnosis. We then have genomes from individuals such as that into a large genome model.
0: But for our understanding, for a lot of people on this call, our understanding is that for... Um, to have a very... Uh, it is not always the case that people are diagnosed in the most accurate way. So I'm looking at the volume here versus the quality and how your AI and what you're building at Interteam is able to actually separate these two as as a use case or as the data set the, the data upon which your AI will be trained. Because a very interesting conversation that I was having with a colleague of mine is how much... Can an AI go wrong? So let me ask you that direct question: With Ikarin and what you're building, how much can it go wrong?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the first, you know, the first reaction for to people that people have with artificial intelligence is being amazed, and then the second reaction is, oh, it's not as good as I thought it, would, it could be, and that comes from that comes from hallucinations that we are are seeing with ChatGPT and so forth. So I want to say Ecotone is is a leader in highlighting hallucinations within the medical space. Um, As early users of ChatGPT, we first witnessed these hallucinations and we saw people in, in various fields start to talk about them publicly and then we investigated this this is several months ago um and um, and with using scientific rigor so what we did was we introduced we asked chat gpt to give us a um to give us a description of a gene that we knew that didn't exist so it's a little bit of a trick question right um so we asked chat gpt to give us uh, the description of this gene was a gene was called bio one um, within a model organism called C. elegans, and ChatGPT, rather than saying this gene doesn't exist, no further information, I don't have any further information. Instead, gave us um, not just a description of what the gene does, it gave us citations that included um, scientific papers. That included names of scientists, some of which I actually know personally, um, as well as names that I didn't recognize, Um, and a a, um, sort of like a description of what this gene does that looked scientifically like formatted correctly. The kicker is all of this was fake, all of this was untrue, it was a hallucination at the highest level. So we flagged this and actually published it on LinkedIn. And I would I would say we are, if not the first, will amongst the first two, to to test an artificial intelligence system for hallucination in with scientific rigor. Um, and the reason why we were um, interested in doing something like that and making it public was we know at Ecotone that we have to we are designing uh, medicines that hopefully will have great impact on people's lives. And the margin for error is very slim. We have to get it right. We cannot have hallucinations when it comes to what is the gene that's causing some disease that is having people suffer. Um, And how that looks like on the ground with us is the architecture of our large genome model is based on a concept that we have termed gene flow. This is, I won't get too much into inside baseball or in the the depths of this, but gene flow describes the movement of genes from different heritages across different spaces on earth. So the movement, let's say, of a particular genetic element, um, say from Nigeria to Ghana, or from Rwanda um, to um, Tanzania, Um, because individual from one space that has a genetic element has moved to another space that doesn't have a genetic uh, element and then they have. The genetic element is now represented within that new population. So that's gene flow. Um, To get gene flow correct, you have to look at the, the sort of vectors, which vectors are essentially described A specific direction and a velocity um, that something moves in that could be a car or it could be a gene Um, but to get those vectors right you have to have a good representation of the heritages of people from all around the world so what has foiled many attempts at trying to find out what are the genes causing many inherited diseases in the past and the reason why medicines that have came about where billions of dollars were spent have failed is that there's typically an overrepresentation of some heritages from some parts of the world compared to other heritages. So what, what this looks like is that scientists, um, sometimes groups of them that number in the hundreds, possibly thousands in companies that are funded in the billions, uh, take a look at genomic databases and, because they haven't paid attention to how level the playing field is as far as representation of the heritages that they are looking at, it's they come to an erroneous conclusion that this particular disease is caused by this part of your genome. Um, and when you look and it's co- incorrect, and when you do, when you look back to see where did they go wrong, oftentimes you find out, oh, it's because they have an open representation of one heritage. Um, oftentimes, it's um, some of the Western heritages, which tend to be the ones that are most overrepresented in genome libraries. Um, and do erroneously lead them to an incorrect conclusion. So that's, in a sense, like an early version of a hallucination that companies like the big pharmaceutical companies have suffered um, multiple different times and will suffer from even more as we use artificial intelligence since it is so sensitive to misrepresentation of data
0: so 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 uh dr malik let me let me ask you a question so before i do ask you a question we've just had um sheikh ajiv join us we're going to give him 30 seconds to 60 seconds on the clock to ask you a question or make a statement before we move on with the conversation Um, good evening sheikh how are you doing unmute yourself. You
3: we'll have thirty seconds on the call. Hi, hi, CDM. Thanks very much. My name is Ajib. Uh, um, Sheikh is being Ajif is my Twitter name. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Ajif. I'm a pharmacist. I'm calling in from um, from um, Nairobi, Kenya. Um, I have a question for um Dr. Imalik. Um, I mean, I've been following your work, and I must say, I'm really impressed with, um, with what you're doing and your company. I'm also really excited about um, um precision medicine and the and the prospects um, of it, but I guess my question to you directly is: um, I would want to know um, um, how you are thinking about um, navigating the regulatory framework around um, getting your medicines or getting these uh, new drugs to 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 market. I mean, take into consideration uh, the timelines it takes for like um, getting um, new drugs and new drugs application, new drug applications. Um, um, submitted and then eventually getting approvals for them to, like, um, the regulatory authorities, like um, the FDA, the um, MHRA, or even like um, authorities here in Africa across um, across the globe. Yeah.
1: Dr. Yeah. Dr. Emali, Mali, can you take that question? Yes, thank you, Ajif. Um, thank you for the question. Um, yes, that's that's a very good question. So, so typically it. Um, The the most often cited um, number for how long to bring a drug to market is about 10 years, like a decade. So that was the world that we were in. And that world changed when COVID occurred. Because we were able to demonstrate, or it was demonstrated by companies, um, including Pfizer, Moderna, um, BioNTech, that you could bring a drug to market in under two years. So the COVID vaccines were developed, tested, and deployed in under two years. So not 10 years, two years. So that opened the eyes of the regulatory communities, um, including the FDA here in the United States, um, NHS in England, as well as the ones, the equivalents across the African um, countries and diaspora. So two years, um, however, it's that was in an emergency situation, most likely will not translate to a non emergent situation. Um, However, there's been inroads to approaching that two years. So there's a company by the name of Insilico that was able to get a drug from conception all the way to phase one trials in 30 months. So that's um, you know about about uh, less than three years, two and a half years or so, um, and that was just unheard of before. And, this was accelerated significantly because they use artificial intelligence to propel the drug discovery process. The in our conversations with regulatory communities, um, for instance, our conversations with the FDA, they are very excited that we are using artificial intelligence to develop drugs. What that means for them is that they no longer have to deal with drugs that have such like um, weak effects, as well as a strong side effect profile, that you have to have these massive clinical trials just to show that they have this, a marginal effect on patients. Um, an example that I will have to just list was an Alzheimer's drug that came out um, last year, so earlier this year, I believe, that barely had an impact on Alzheimer's patients. Um, several billion dollars was spent on the development of these drugs. And, it's, you could say that the amount of improvement that patients that took this drug had was so small that it was within the range of error that you could call it ineffective. That's the landscape that the FDA as well as the other regulatory communities have lived in um, for a long time. And they would much rather have drugs such as a COVID vaccine that showed a strong and significant effect immediately. And the promise of artificial intelligence being introduced to medicine is that we will be able to finally have on a consistent basis drug applications where the actual medication has such a strong effect that you don't need 10 years of testing to get it right. It's it's quite quick. Um, and because we are working with rare diseases, rare inherited diseases, the FDA to encourage companies such as ecotone to get drugs to market faster, have Made uh, what are called um, orphan disease status and fast track status. So these these are these are sort of applications or subsegments within the FDA that allow. Companies such as Ecotone to be able to move through the regulatory f- process faster, and hopefully be able to get drugs out to the market. So we don't think we'll be able to do it in two years to get a drug to market in two years. But we believe that we, should, again, because the artificial intelligence is making our work faster, we should be able to get drugs out that are very effective out within four years. That's that's our and that's our um, goal for you. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for, for that. So, D- Dr. Imali, what does this mean for, I'm going to be very specific just because um, I know and I've had friends who um, suffer for, from certain diseases like sickle cell. What, what, what future does a company like Ickerton um, play in, in, in providing um, the treatment or the care that people suffering from um, sickle cell disease like sickle cell has.
1: Yes, absolutely. So sickle cell is an inherited disease that is predominantly in the African and African diaspora populations. So this is like a classic inherited disease. But you can see, wherever like wherever, Af- wherever Africans move to is gene flow of sickle cell that occurs. So this is like actually a really easy example to visualize. Um, and just to describe the disease, sickle cell is like a change of, of blood cells to a particular shape that makes them um, less, um, they are unable to retain oxygen as easily as typically shaped blood cells. And the reason that shape, they have the sickle cell shape is because of molecular changes that are based on the genetics of the blood cells. Um, so Companies like Ecotone that are introducing the next generation of medicines are going to be introducing precision medicines that directly tackle the genetics of sickle cell. So I'll give you an example of a study that just came out earlier this week on Monday that is going to be very promising for for individuals with sickle cell disease. So this study um, showed that um, so I guess first the background, the, the best approach to treating sickle cell today is what's called a bone marrow transplant. So the blood cells that um, the, your blood is made by cells um, that are called hematopoic stem cells. And these are based inside of your bone. So within like your, your big bones, like your femur in your leg um, or in your arm or um, your rib cage and so forth. So these within these bones, uh, the way your blood is birthed and then it gets released out and then flows within your blood vessels. And to treat sickle cell, the st- treatment that has been shown to work is having a hematopoic stem cell transplant to the bone and just in a sense replacing your old bone marrow with a new type of bone marrow that could create a new type of blood cells that do not have that sickle shape. So this is very evasive, one of the most difficult and painful surgeries one could go through. But this study that came out on Monday used genetics and precision medicine to show there's a a much better effective approach to treating sickle cell. So what they did was identify a gene that's called CD117. So the fancy word for that is clusters of differentiation 117 for any of um, you guys there that like to go deeper into Wikipedia and learn things. So it's CD117. Um, so this is a gene that is in hematopoic stem cells and what these investigators did to be able to, um, to modify this gene so that the bone marrow starts to create a new type of blood cell that doesn't have sickle cell was they put an mRNA which is a um, which is a type of um what's the best way to describe it mRNA so mRNA is is um well let's just go backwards within within the uh within our genomes we have our DNA which I'm sure everybody is familiar with and our DNA makes what are called mRNAs so mRNAs are this intermediate step that carries the information of specific genes and the mRNA then is converted into proteins um, such as what makes up blood cells. And so what these individuals, these investigators did was they created an mRNA that carries the information for the gene for CD117. And then they put that into an encasement called a lipid nanoparticle. So this is this lipid nanoparticle, it's a SOFI-like material that protects the mRNA. And it's the same um, lipid nanoparticle um, that were used for the COVID vaccines. So they've been proven to be safe across several billion people at this time, uh, at this time, um, since the pandemic. Uh, so we have CD117 contained within a lipid nanoparticle protection layer, injected into the blood and the mRNA then caused the production of the CD117 molecule, which then modified these um, bone marrow stem cells deep within the bone and caused them to start making a new type of blood cell that did not have a sickle cell. And thus, they were able to cure these patients without ever having to have surgery. It's um, just genetically precise cures, no side effects that they were able to report that were significant, no need for surgery. Um, And this is is a quintessential example of next generation medicines that are based on genetics. So Ecotone plans to make medicines like this um, that are precise that are based on the genetics of it and we're using artificial intelligence to empower us being able to do this.
0: It, it's, it's brilliant the way you, you've you've taken uh, you've taken your time to break down all of this. And it actually presents um, a very, very exciting opportunity for you know patients who are suffering from these diseases to, to actually have um, something, hope to hold on to. So I'm going to just flip it around, right? Um, and I'm going to ask probably the most ridiculous question that is out there at the at, at the moment: Is AI going to kill us all? Of, all of us?
1: <laughs> that that um, okay. That, 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 that's, I, I love um, questions like that explore the extremes, which I think I, um, I I'm a big fan of. Um, so the short answer to that is. Um, we 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 have been attuned tuned by movies and books, uh, movies like Terminator, um, Mission Impossible, and so forth, and books such as Animal Farm, um, that suggest that hum- in, a, in the in the world where machines uh, become more cogent, human agency becomes reduced. Our position in us being able to um, to to be to make decisions will be, will be removed from us and we'll have artificial intelligence take over. And, and of course there's like, um, things that we, that are in the news that are in reality today, such as like self-driving cars, um, where, um, companies such as Tesla as Lucid and others, um, uh, designing cars that are able to drive themselves to remove the human driver from the um their process and um it's been shown from several studies that um at least in well-designed um, systems that removing a human driver results in less accidents and so forth so that that is one segment of of um this potential dystopian world of artificial intelligence taken over um but there is also- There's also another um, angle at which to look at it. So artificial intelligence is presented today to most people as a black box, which I think is quite, there's another angle to look at this. Um, And the first part of it is that we have to, we, we have to push back against this narrative that artificial intelligence is this black box that Everyday Joe and Jane, uh, I guess this is um, pitch room Africa, so I'll say Everyday Muhammad and Fatu uh, are not supposed to understand what actually is artificial intelligence and how it works. Um, this narrative of it being not understandable has been propelled by um, some of the leaders within the space. So Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI um, was in the United States Congress a few months ago um, speaking about how what they are creating is so dangerous that they even don't understand what's going on and they need the government to come provide regulatory processes that protect themselves from themselves and so forth it's like a fear-based narrative and what that does is to people that are tuning in on tv and watching this or reading a newspaper about it is and they're busy living their lives it makes them throw their hands up and say wow that is too complicated for me to understand that is too difficult for me. Let me let these other people take the leadership on that and I will just sit back and not have any agency in what this potential future could be. So I think that's actually much more dangerous than worried about AI taking over. I think it's quite important for people to take a active role in understanding how artificial intelligence, works. For people to, you don't have to be a neuroscientist, but to learn that artificial intelligence systems are made of computational units called artificial neurons. And these neurons are based on just a random selection of of um, inputs that in aggregation with some of them that uh, just happen to be luckily correct, you build an ensemble of computational units that are then able to do something special, like recognize the color green or recognize the color yellow. Um, there's a little bit of time put in time on task, but Wikipedia is available. Many information sources are available for that. Um, and these artificial intelligence systems, the latest and greatest of them work on a principle called tokenization. Tokenization is very straightforward to understand. So a token is a unit of something, it could be anything. So let's just say words within the English language. There's about 170,000 words in the English language. So You could call that 170,000 tokens. And how ChatGPT and many, many of the AIs within the large language space work is by trying to figure out within a sentence, what is the next word that is, that is going to emerge? so let's use the sentence i am going down to the market to buy what's the next word going to be Uh, is that word going to be shampoo is that word going to be um, table is that word going to be chair is that word going to be airplane so i think most is it going to be space shuttle is it going to be you go on the extremes of it planet right so most likely shampoo is the most likely next word that's going to fit into that sentence, right? And because I am going to the market to buy planet doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to the, pl- to the market to buy shampoo makes a lot of sense. And how ChatGPT and the large language models operate is by having what's called a look back space of all the tokens or the words that preceded um, shampoo in that sentence and the further they could look backwards the more context they're able to have to put the right word in to put in shampoo rather than planet there and if you do that quick enough you start to have sentences that look quite like a human being that's speaking so what i just described to you is a fundamental core of how chat gpt works and when you look at it in that space you start becoming less afraid of it you start worrying about oh, this is the engineering behind how this is working, rather than, oh, this is gonna take over my job, or this is gonna take over my decision-making, or this is gonna take over the world. We, in in us understanding it and being active agents in figuring out what this technology is, we become encouraged to not use a fear-based narrative, but use it, how can we use this tool to make our jobs easier? How can I level up and work? how can I, like in the case of ecotone, make better medicines that address an unmet unmet need for patients with inherited diseases? And in other spaces, such as the same climate change, how, how can we use artificial intelligence that uh, and adopt these methodologies that uh, uh, large language models are using or other types such as diffusion models are using to be able to figure out what is the carbon footprint of a forest fire? How can we get that number that is solid, which requires an aggregation of tons of data put it into the artificial intelligence system and actually get a numerical representation of the cost of a forest fire or the cost of a uh, the carbon footprint of that forest fire. So then you could possibly uh, make more informed decisions regarding how do we move forward with reducing the global increase in temperature. So the narrative has to change and it has to change from beginning from the individual person. We cannot buy into this fear-based narrative. We could watch the movies and use them as, as, as entertainment, but we cannot use them um, to dictate how we move forward with artificial intelligence, you
0: know uh, uh, that uh, that is <laughs> that is such a great way to put it, and um, and you know it makes it makes a whole lot of sense, but it still it still doesn't answer the one question, which um, which is 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 it going to kill all of us or not?
1: <laughs> no.
0: Is there? Will there be a time? When there will be a rise of the machine. And let me let me get let me get down let me get let me get down into in, in, into the question the reasoning behind my question. Right. So at the moment we've seen that AI and generative AI, yeah, more specifically, um, whether it's Mid Journey, whether it's ChatGPT, um, whether it's all the tools that are out there that has the ability to be able to curate content, whether it's visual or not, from you know, scratch with just a, a really brilliant uh, form of prompting. So here is context. Um, in a political atmosphere like the like now, is a very volatile world where a lot of controversies is spread out very very quickly. With tools as advanced as Mid Journey and with prompt engineering becoming a thing, what is stopping someone somewhere to orchestrate? Um, a picture or an image that actually has the tendency to bring about social imbalance. And uh, how do you see situations like that being um, regulated? Because that's another huge conversation that is still ongoing. And, you know, Elon of X and there's so many other guys who are actually, who were, you know, the forward thinkers of AI. Have actually been pushing for regulation. How do you see that balance playing out with regards to the danger and the misuse of AI, as against the regulation and the good the goodwill of that usage?
1: Um, yes. Um, so let's let's just go back to just to reflect on a bit of how amazing of a space that we are in. Um, so we were able to, yeah, we were, people looked at the um, like a horse and you know, people rode horses as a way to move about um, quicker than our feet could do and use it as inspiration cars. Right? So we replicated the horse's leg in the form of a car. Right? And then sometime after that, folks looked at the wing of birds and like, hey, we would like to fly, too. And eventually, with enough work, we were able to replicate the bird's wing in the form of an airplane. Um, so since then, we have it seems like since then, it's been uh, about 100 years um, since uh, the first airplane flew. Uh, more than 100 years, actually. Um, but now we seem to have replicated the brain, at least aspects of it in the form of artificial intelligence now much like these other initial discoveries with the car and the plane um there's going to be misuse so people obviously have used them use cars to, to people's you know speed they run red lights they do bank robberies and use them to get away um, and so on and so on so there's obviously misuse of cars um and there's going to be misuse of artificial intelligence um, Social engineering is a way that people have used, has, has, has a, an approach that people have used to successfully do malintent for quite some time. Uh, social engineering could be as simple as calling a grandmother and telling them some story that um, convinces their grandmother to dump their life savings to your bank account, um, all the way to things that people do at Black Hat, um, the, the conference in in Nevada, um, where it is, people use computers to, to, in a sense, um, interrogate systems that show some sort of vulnerability. And artificial intelligence presents an opportunity to take that to a next level. Um, so there's tools such as Auto GPT that are that are, uh, you could give it instruction sets uh, to do re- relatively complex things um such as go to the web go to the internet find out this bit of information move it to this other space within the internet incorporate the information into the bigger data set then move it to this other space um format it in this particular way present it to this individual through an email gather data from there move it to this other space and on and on and on and just give the information to the ai and you don't have to do any of the coding the computer the ai will do the coding for you and then you could, if your, mal, if your intention is malintent, you could possibly use that to trick somebody. Um, I think the example you use is um, having like a picture from Midjourney that could fool people into thinking something that is not a truth. I think my favorite example was the Pope picture that came out a few months months ago, I think in June or in May. Um, blinged out Pope. Um, if any of you guys... I've heard about that. I um, haven't heard about that because Google blinked out Pope. Um, so here was an image that was made with Midjourney, where Pope Francis of the Vatican was um, dressed in a white puffy jacket, uh, and he looked like he, he, uh, very, he looked like very cool compared to what he typically his demeanor typically, and that that went viral, um, and many people believed it, but it was absolutely fake. Um, So that's a bit of social engineering where they gave you something that was mildly plausible, but also implausible, but because of how accurate the depiction was, many people took it at face value. So this is going to be the future that we're living in, but it's not going to be the only future. There's also a lot of um, folks that are working on trust-based systems. You know, so that Pope picture was quickly found out to be a fake by a lot of people just recognizing the implausibility of it, including people that are in the Vatican itself. So, trust based systems are going to have much more, uh, they're going to be of more paramount importance as we go into the future. These trust based systems could be based on people. Um, So I call these like oracles, so groups of individuals that have a specialty within a particular domain could be oracles that say in the case of like the Vatican, so the Pope picture, the people within the Vatican that are with the Pope could form an oracle that where somebody tweets out something that's fake and unreal, they could tweet out that it's not true and we are um, are in a position of authority to say that. Um, Oracles could form being governmental organizations um, oracles could be in the form of groups of companies that are, have like a domain um, domain knowledge of a particular space. Um, and these are human-based oracles that would be that could be needed as it becomes much more easy to, to put out fake information out there. Um, oracles do not necessarily have to be humans. They could also be computational. Um, they could be systems that are designed to look for fake articles, fake pictures and um and take in taking input from human-based oracles as like a primary sources and so forth um so there's a multitude of ways that we could build trust-based systems that counter um malintent um that is uh, that people have with artificial intelligence
0: no um thank you thank you very much um doctor for those of you who are listening to us have this conversation we've been just we've, ju- we've been just listening to the, uh, listening to the amazing doctor Emari in Even his name sounds intelligent. Really, to be honest, I've been completely blown away. I think this is—I think this has been an AI education for me. So thank you um, for any one of you here who is. This is the first time joining the picture. Every Friday we're here. We're meeting with some of the smartest people around in the African ecosystem. People that are as intelligent as doctor is that are building the next generation of solution using innovation technology or even the policymaker themselves. So do us a favor, don't miss any of our conversation. Conversation like these are always very important to listen to. We are going to continue the conversation with AI next week. We'll be having another um, another fantastic individual who will be joining us here to talk about art and ai and this is also an individual that a lot of you have actually seen some of his work he's going to be here on friday next week right here on the patreon dr Malik. let's um we're going to come to a close um, of the conversation now and so thank you so much for being here but i do have to two of the really um, last questions. But before I do, I think my colleague Esther wants to ask a question I want to just share her thoughts. Esther?
2: Yeah, I'm here. Um, Thank you so much, um, Dr. I've been, I've been so wrapped. My attention has been very focused on everything you've been saying because I'm very, very interested in health and I see the role that you play Um, And I'm very, very, very enthusiastic about what the future holds for the health sector in Africa. Um, But what I'm a bit concerned about is, I know that um, there's a play down in preventive medicine. Um, What you're doing, you're treating, right, you're treating sicknesses that are inherited. But how about, I mean, in this, in this case, are you actually thinking about preventive measures? Is it possible for sicknesses? are supposedly inherited to be prevented i i really want you to answer this question and if it is not possible then on the flip side do you have anything um in the future on how to educate patients and equip them to be able to manage themselves um, regardless of the fact that they have this um disease they are living with dr malik
1: Esther, thank you. Thank you for um, a, a such a well put together question um, and a very important one because I um, I think in, um, in between the lines, I could see how um, you're putting importance in prevents, pre- preventative medicine, which I wholly agree with. Um, so for the diseases that we are working in, we are on the end of the scale uh of some of the most severe diseases on earth so for these diseases um prevention most is not it's 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 unavailable um having a gene a change in your genome that causes these diseases in a sense you live in an inevitability unless some medication comes about that's one end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. On the other end of the spectrum are uh, diseases inherited diseases that are more mild and those for, uh, some of them can actually be prevented um, with changes in diet for instance or at least the manifestation of the most severe symptoms of the disease could be significantly delayed through lifestyle choices um, we do not work within that area However, I do see artificial intelligence being able to play a significant role there. Um, so I'll just, I'll just give you an example of a company that's based here in New York that's called Flatiron Health. Actually, so Flatiron Health focuses on cancer, but it's, it's sort of independent of the, um, uh, the thesis that I present to you guys. Um, Flatiron Health um, was early to recognize the power of AI by looking at patient uh, so physician records from various spaces, um, and scanning them and being able to put them into artificial intelligence systems. Um, I, I had a conversation with the with the um, principal the, the lead scientist the principal scientist of Flatiron Health um, the other week. We had a dinner together, and she told me that they have hired about a million nurses from all over the, the globe to look at patient. So physician records. So, you know, doctor records are notoriously terrible for having bad handwriting and having um, that this information put into systems where AI could read this information in aggregate is quite difficult. So they literally had to um, hire a lot of people. And this is an instance of artificial intelligence creating new jobs. Right? So that's just one important tidbit that people do not think about but with with these nurses input information of these doctors records they're then able to do something that um was just quite amazing they're able to start to compare the dosages of people from various regions so say a doctor in america gives a a a um, a patient a particular dose of a medicine um, and it works to some effect then a doctor in in um let's say um uganda um gives a different dose to this um, to another patient, but having the same disease. And then a doctor in the Gambia does the same thing, but again, with like a, a slightly different dose um, for the same disease to a new patient. Flatiron Health is able to aggregate this data and then has their AI look to see of these patients. If you look across these instances and we multiply them from two three patients to several thousand patients which of the patients are actually having the best effect Um, that informs you on what is the actual correct dose to give patients and specifically to patients within particular localizations or heritages or geographic regions Um, but then you could carry that even further so Rather than medicines that are meant to fix the, the disease, you could start looking at doctor's records that indicate the patient's diet. What is the BMI? What is What are the previous, um, what is their health choices? Like what is their exercise amounts per week? Um, couple that with information from like, you know, um, your iPhone or your iWatch, the biometric data on your heart rate and so forth. And all of a sudden you could start getting a much fuller picture of patients across different regions and you could use this information for individuals when they show up to the doctor's office so if i when i show up to my doctor's office i want him to make an informed decision on what he he recommends me to exercise more or to change my diet towards more vegetables or perhaps more fruits or perhaps the mediterranean diet or perhaps the okinawa diet from japan um based on knowledge of what does it look like for the last thousand people that have walked into a doctor's office across different geographies and continents? What were their outcomes? I want his decision to be informed by that large of a data set. And this is where artificial intelligence will really help with preventative medicine.
0: That is, that is, um, that is, honestly, I think, the, I think this has been a masterclass on, on, on AI, really. Um, Esther.
2: I agree. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Siri. Uh It's fantastic. I wish we could have a part two of this. You know. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so actually,
0: we're going to have a part two, and the reason why we're going to have a part two is specifically because I think we 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 lost out some time in some minutes, and I don't. I know we don't want to hold you up, Doctor Emalik, for the longest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll definitely really love to have you join us here again sometime soon because these have just been like it's it's like I can I can I, I, well I will not attempt to do it but I'll I'll probably go thinking that I'm an AI expert after all um, I you know I've been privileged to have the front seats to see <laughs> to see AI companies um, birth so. <laughs> So you know why not? Um, so Dr. Malik, Dr. Malik, um, one of the things I think <laughs> I think uh, it was exciting the conversation that we we're having, and that you were sort of pissed with at the moment, is how a lot of so-called AI companies are, you know, jumping all around the place, um, tagging themselves as AI companies when. Um, Most of the founders don't have the foundational elements or the expertise to fully understand what AI is. And um, just listening to you, I understand now where you're coming from. (laughs) Just so you know, I understand now fully. So here's two questions as we come to a close on the picture tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been hearing us speak to Dr. Imari Kinjai. Dr. Malik Injai was actually one of the experts AI, one of the earliest expert AI startup founder from Columbia University when he launched his very first AI company and exited at a valuation of $85 million. Today, Dr. Injai's work have been focused on using his new company, Ecuton, to find ways to treat genetic diseases that have been predominant in our society across generations dr enjoy here's a question two questions that i have for you number one how can people be on board the work that you're doing and support that cause and then number two what advice would you give to anyone out there who's afraid of the power AI has in replacing jobs and how can they leverage the opportunity that it presents?
1: Uh, thank you, Citi. Um So how you could support, um, I think I believe there's two ways you can support. Um, so the first way is, is actually uh, inspired by By my experience founding genetic intelligence some years ago um just just a little background on genetic intelligence that was as you mentioned that was the first uh, medical ai company out of columbia university um one of the things that made us special was before ai became popular we were i believe the first to put an entire human genome within a neural net Um, so that that was unprecedented now and it's still quite special today um and getting genetic intelligence um, going was quite difficult most people really didn't understand artificial intelligence because it wasn't in the zeitgeist as it is today um and but luckily we were able to push against that and get funding um, and the, the funding came from uh folks with large checks um, this is in the millions of dollars um and they were we are really happy to to accept their support um these investors, um, and they did quite well. However, I believe there were other investors too into Ecotone that, sorry, into Genetic Intelligence that were ignored. Those were the people that put in sweat and blood into me being able to develop such a company at that point. So what I mean sweat and blood is somebody like my mother who, who called in earlier um she she had to deal with me asking those annoying questions when i was five six years old seven years old and was nice enough to try her always try her best in trying to answer those questions for me um folks like my cousins who have been with me during this entire journey in the gambia as well as in america um folks like such as my friends um i see some of them online here such as greg and so forth um, that have been incredible and encouraging me to go forward and be bold in making this company. That is sweat and blood. These are people that have invested in me. And there was no way to have them have a footprint in the increase in value of genetic intelligence. And that always frustrated me. So I thought about it for years and finally figured out a way to allow people that matter to me to have some sort of footprint in the case of the companies that i build becomes become uber successful so how that looks like today is a company that's called we funder we funder is in a sense um, similar to kickstarter but rather than for products it's for startups and it allows uh, individuals to make small contributions small investments into companies such as ecotone so when i learned about it i structured Ecotone in such a way that a small amount of our of ownership, uh, about a little bit less than 1% of the company was made available to investors such as my family members, such as my friends and so forth, that they could invest into Ecotone. So the minimum amount is, to, is about $100 and that was made on purpose because I am aware that say a $5,000 investment or ten thousand dollar investment um, doesn't compare to the millions of dollars that we are getting from other investors, and we're quite happy to get those millions of dollars because we what we are doing is expensive. We have to have um, massive GPU computational resources that cost um, that that take up a lot of that that that, um, that funding. Um, however, so so ten thousand dollars is something we literally could blow on gpus within a few hours however the meaning of it is what matters and the meaning of it looks like this to a cousin of mine that happens to live in the gambia the gambia's exchange rate is one to 50 at this point so a ten thousand dollar investment multiplied by 50 is a significant amount to them right um their spending power is based on that exchange rate so i opened up Ecotone to be able to accept these small investments to make them be able to come on the ride, come on the journey, come on this this uh, exploration into this new space of the next generation of medicines with with uh, the rest of us, including folks that have large checks. Um, it's like a, a DSI play, so DEI, diversity um, inclusion. Um, I, I'm, I'm forgetting all of these syllables there, um, but it's it's my idea to feel right about the company and open it up to individuals that otherwise will not be able to contribute to Ecotone's growth. So, if you, uh, those of you that are listening, are interested, you could go to wefunded.com/ Ecotone. Um, you could put in a hundred dollars. Um, again. It's not going to move our needle, but it means something to me, the founder of Ecotone. I want th- those of us in the African diaspora to become accustomed to invest in as a way of wealth generation. And if Ecotone is that vehicle that helps foster that, I think it's quite important um, that we are able to accept these small funds. Um, we have to cap it though um at some point because we cannot give up too much of the ownership of the company um, our lawyers will literally go crazy by having too many names um, all of your names will be condensed into one line in our cap table so that actually keeps our cap table nice and clean um, however we eventually if we if it does quite well we'll have to send out checks um to um to a number of people and that can't be too much because our lawyers will literally um go crazy um, with all of that paperwork um, so get in now and um, at some point in the future we'll have to shut down the we funder um, so and i thank you ahead of time for for your contribution um, the second way you could you could help is just something you could do on your own um, particularly in the african and the african diaspora um, so every thursday i host a class with um, high schoolers from an all-girls high school in the Gambia. It's called St. Joseph's High. Um, I've been doing this for about two years now. I, sometimes while I was in the Gambia, I was I hosted a class in, in person. And while I'm in New York, I do it online. And I teach the girls, and now there's guys that are there too, about the latest in technology, um, artificial intelligence in particular. And... Um, so teaching them STEM education is something that I value, is something that I um, took from my parents and I'm trying to give back so that the next generation of folks within that are, um men, uh, particularly women, because they tend to be even more underserved when it comes to technology, are informed as to what direction the world is going. So I take my time every thursday and give an hour to teaching them ai and those girls knew about chat gpt before 99 of americans did before 99 of um, british people did before 99 of french people did and they are in the in a small country of 1.6 million people in west africa um I, I the way you could give back is find some way to do that on your own sphere um teach what you have to the people that are in the next generation. Um, The girls at St. Joseph's High, um, not just know how to use ChatGPT, but they know how to use that to bring, to bring uh, monetary gains to themselves. So I'll give you some inside information, There's a website called Upwork.com. It's like a website that you could go and volunteer for jobs that people will pay you in American dollars. So I've encouraged them to learn how to use ChatGPT find out the different ways you could do prompt engineering, go on Upwork.com, find jobs that you could do, f- volunteer for those jobs, and then get paid in American dollars. So that's like a real world, like teaching. Like, they are learning how to use artificial intelligence. And they're also being rewarded for learning that. So I believe there's many ways that we uh, people could go ahead and find find um, approaches to teach in the next generation of, of Africans so that we all rise up like a okay, rising tide, lift all, lifts all boats. Um, okay. So that's, those are the ways you could give back. Um, go to our WeFunder and then just teach, to teach the people within your environment um, what you know. Um, and regarding the second part of your question, with regarding jobs, um, I think an easier way to just, to, 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 um, give light to that unknown. is just looking back to the Industrial Revolution. Um, Industrial Revolution took place several hundred years ago. And when, when, um, at that time, like to make a t-shirt, it took one person about a whole month to make a single t-shirt because, you know, you have a yarn with a string and you have two hands, and it just takes a month to make one. And the Industrial Revolution came about and machines were created that could hold, several hundred yarns several hundred pieces of string and in that same individual rather than taking a month to make one t-shirt is able to make several thousand t-shirts in one day right um when that occurred there was like a fear reaction in response to this new reality and people thought that they were going to lose their jobs so other t-shirt makers were like oh my goodness I'm, how am i gonna have to keep my job if this machine is able to help this other guy make a thousand t-shirts in one day when it takes me a whole month to make one. Um, that was a irrational reaction, but time told us that that wasn't the correct reaction. So at the the, in, the industrial revolution has many negatives to it, but amongst the positives is that way more jobs were created than ever existed on earth beforehand. Um, the average human being became way wealthier after the end, uh, because of the consequence of the, of the um, Industrial Revolution, and also became healthier. So more jobs, more wealth, and more health. Um, this, we are now approaching a similar space where the narrative is that artificial intelligence is gonna take away jobs. But I could tell you firsthand when I was in London um two months ago at the artificial intelligence summit um where I met City actually that there's a lot of companies that are doing artificial intelligence and all these companies are hiring, right? Um there's gonna be a ton of jobs that are gonna be lost. There's no getting around that. There's literally no getting around that, and we have to be ready for that future. We also have to be ready for a future where there's gonna be a lot more jobs that existed beforehand. Like an example I cited earlier was flat iron health hired a million nurses to transcribe doctor's records. So that's just the first generation of jobs that are going to occur There's going to be leveling up of that second generation and third generation jobs. We have to anticipate that any one person is going to be able to do way more than they were able to do before. So if you are like a skill one level person, you're going to be level up to skill four. If you're a skill four person, you're going to be level up to skill seven. If you're a skill 12 person, you're going to be level up to skill 20 and so forth. Everyone's just going to level up. Um, but you're not going to lose, jobs are not going to be lost. Some jobs will be lost and other jobs, new jobs will be created. So think of that um, and um, keep an eye out for that going into the future. Yeah,
0: um, no, this, this this has been incredible. Um, Dr. Malik, are you there? Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's been such a pleasure to have, to having you. I'm just going to have you commit publicly. That you're going to come back on the Patreon Africa to further educate us on AI. Because I feel like this is a conversation that we could have every single day. And I just keep learning the, 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 the usage from, from where it started to where we are to the future and just to the use cases is just really incredible. I'm really grateful um, that you join us on the Patreon tonight
2: thank you for being here thank you dr malik
1: thank you esther and thank you city city this has been great um Room africa uh, you you ask excellent questions you have um an excellent community that you are building and i am like really encouraged and happy that there's so many africans in, africa. yeah, People in africa it that yeah thank you they're interested in artificial intelligence and i'll happily come back You're, we are in like a rapidly moving space and there's always new things, so we'll keep in touch and um, and uh, look forward to coming back. Thank you very much. So for those of you who are joining us
0: for the first time, every Friday we'll meet here. We'll bring together some of the smartest individuals like Dr. Imali Kinjai that are killing it in their ecosystem. So when we talk about the African ecosystem, we're talking about Africans, but also not people that are not necessarily Africans, but are doing an incredible job to shifting the perspective and the future of the African continent. I've been your host for tonight's episode. This is The Pitch from Africa. Thank you for joining us. Good night.
2: Good night. hey. hey.